Hey everyone. Before we release our final story of the season, we wanted to share an episode from another one of my favorite shows. This is Uncomfortable, a podcast from Marketplace. This is Uncomfortable is hosted by Rima Kres, and they're currently back for their eighth season. They tell stories about money, but not like financial analysis or how to save for retirement. It's personal stories about how money impacts all parts of our lives. The episode we've chosen for you is about the murky ethics surrounding egg donation, and we meet someone who donated their eggs multiple times over the course of their 20s. You can find This Is Uncomfortable wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back tomorrow with the final Bodies episode of the season. One day, her freshman year of college, Ashley Griffin was leaving the dining hall when she saw a poster. There was like a bulletin board that had different campus activities and clubs on them. And there was one flyer on there that was like, become an egg donor, make up to like $10,000. $10,000 and all you have to do is sell your eggs? It kind of blew Ashley's mind. She was just 18. Most clinics require donors to be at least 21, so she'd have to wait. But in the meantime, it became a bit of a running joke among her family and friends. Yeah, student loans suck, but it's not going to matter because I'll donate my eggs and then I'll get money. Or, like, maybe I'm not going to pass my classes or graduate or get whatever job, but good news, sounds like people want our eggs. It felt way too good to be true, an easy way to solve all of her money problems. Growing up, Ashley watched her family go from one financial crisis to the next. Yeah, not infrequent to have water or electricity shut off in our home, not infrequent to be. We were evicted a few times, so I I heard those stressors. But her parents, they did everything they could to give Ashley and her four siblings a normal childhood. Her dad worked multiple jobs and would get creative to make ends meet. I remember hearing him talking about donating plasma so we could have extra money around Christmas. Ashley waited patiently for three years, until she was 21. And by then, she was even more confident. I was like, I have donated plasma, I've donated blood, I've donated hair. Yeah, this checks out. This is next. Like, yes, obviously. Why wouldn't she sell her eggs? 21-year-old me felt so, like, eager and hopeful. And, like, this was maybe going to change everything and make, like, all the dreams I had possible. And on top of it, I'm doing a good thing that will make people happy. I'm Rima Hreis, and welcome to This is Uncomfortable, the show where we talk about how money makes life messy. People who sell their eggs can stand to make anywhere from $3,000 to really as much as someone is willing to pay. There's no limit. Egg donation is a multi-billion dollar industry, and it's only growing. But what's interesting is that there's virtually no federal regulation around how donors are treated or paid, and there haven't been many studies on their experiences. For years now, I've been fascinated by the idea of egg donation and what it's like for donors to make this life-altering transaction. Which, by the way, I should say, even though within the industry it's called egg donation, these are not donations. There's an exchange of money happening. I've spent weeks talking with dozens of young women who've sold their eggs, and Ashley's story especially stuck with me. Ashley began donating eggs at 21, and to this day, she has no idea how many kids are out there with half her DNA. Each time she donated, her view on the industry and her role in it evolved. 
And eventually, it forced her to grapple with seemingly impossible questions about her own future and family. When Ashley was 17 and finishing up high school, she was for the first time thinking about what would come next for her. I had a teacher in high school who will come up again in this conversation, who I remember like very seriously pulled me aside and he said like, don't assume your parents have money for college for you. They might not. And I thought that was the funniest thing. It never once crossed my mind that my parents might be like providing me any money once I was out of the house. The teacher Ashley's referring to was her English teacher. He was a really big mentor in her life. She could see herself having a life like his one day, teaching high school, having a family. First, though, she'd have to get a degree. Ashley decided to go to a college not far from where she grew up in Washington State. She got some financial aid, but like so many of us, ended up taking out student loans. After graduating, she'd owe $40,000. Ashley didn't think too much about that number. She just wanted independence. With student loan money and financial aid, for the first time ever, she had real money at her disposal. I felt briefly rich by student loans. Living on campus meant you had to have a meal plan. Love and I Yes, and I had the unlimited meal plan. And oh my I, gosh, you were my, rich, like, rich. Oh my gosh, my friends, I remember complained about the dining hall food all the time. And I was like, what are you talking about? I haven't had this much salad in my life. Despite the hardships her family had gone through, Ashley had never thought that they were poor. She just figured growing up in a big family makes things tight. That changed once she started opening up to her friends about her childhood. And so many of the stories I had, I didn't realize were strange until I saw people's reactions. She wasn't ashamed, but she did start to look back on her past and see how money made things unstable. They'd get stuck in a cycle, be in a crisis, find a way to get some money— And then they'd face another crisis, and over and over. Now that she was out on her own, Ashley was determined to find lasting stability. Step one was filling out an application to sell her eggs. Ashley lived in Washington and decided to look out of state, to California. She'd learned that fertility clinics there tend to pay more. Can you walk me through the application process? Like, what kinds of questions? Yeah, it's did like they ask the you? worst dating profile. <laughs> it's it's so intense. There are the simple questions: How old are you? What color are your eyes? Do you understand that this is a medical procedure? And then the more thorough questions: Her medical history, her family's medical history, her grades in high school. They wanted to know whether she was athletic, did drugs, was on birth control. What do you like to do for fun? What are your goals with school? What was your childhood like? What? Tell me about the relationships with each of your siblings. What would you want to communicate to any future offspring? Well, it sounds like in answering these questions, you're selling yourself. 100%. Still, she snuck in a few comments about her values. She didn't want children born of her eggs to be spanked, and it was important that prospective parents were accepting of all sexualities. This time in Ashley's life felt so full of possibility. She was studying English and linguistics with the hopes of becoming a teacher. She also dreamed of eventually becoming a parent herself. She just didn't want to start that journey with student loans. It was hugely weighing on my mind that I shouldn't have kids unless I could afford it. So it felt like here's a chance to help somebody else have a family and make it so maybe I can someday have a family. Selling her eggs would open all those doors for her. Ashley remembers when she heard back from the clinic. She'd been couch surfing and working at an elementary school between semesters. She was standing on the playground, waiting for her shift to start, 
when she got the email. They told her she'd been accepted into the egg bank program, and they wanted her to donate eggs twice. And she'd get $8,000 each time. $8,000. I could... I wonder if my sister could go to college if she wanted to. I wonder Mm. if, like, okay, I could take out fewer student loans, or I could still take out student loans and then have $8,000. The whole shift was a blur. Ashley started daydreaming of all the possibilities. And then it dawned on me partway through work, I pulled my phone out again to check. I was like, oh my gosh, they said for two cycles, that's $16,000. Like, that was like an unbelievable amount of money to me. She wouldn't have to worry about being a burden on her family or whether she could afford another semester at school. Maybe she could even do something fun, go on a trip. Ashley said, yes, sign me up. Before her procedure, doctors sent her hormone-filled syringes to inject herself with to help prepare her body. I felt nauseous. I wasn't throwing up yet, but I felt very sick. I was starting to feel pretty bloated, and I felt very sore in my abdomen. The clinic flew Ashley from Washington to California. They even sent someone to pick her up from the airport. As soon as she walked into the clinic, she felt like a celebrity. They offered her coffee and tea. The staff was telling her what a good person she was for doing this, congratulating her on her high fertility count. Like, oh my God, you are the perfect candidate. And then they got down to business, told her what would happen next. They explained to her that people with uteruses ovulate once a month and usually ovulate just one egg. But the hormones she'd been injecting in her stomach would stimulate her ovaries to create multiple eggs. And then once it's time to actually retrieve them, the doctors would insert a thick needle through her vaginal tissues and then suction the eggs from her ovaries. They then explained the risks of the procedure. The short of it being, don't worry. I specifically remember them saying, no study has shown that there are any negative side effects from egg donation. I remember them saying there was one very, very, very rare complication called ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. Basically, the same hormones that make the ovaries release eggs can also cause ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome, which means not only do the ovaries get swollen and painful, but you get all these other symptoms too. Things like intense bloating, difficulty breathing, abdominal pain. It's no joke. And in severe cases, you can experience life-threatening complications like blood clots or internal bleeding. Ashley took the doctor's word for it, though. Hyperstimulation is rare. She'd probably just have temporary cramps and nausea. I asked her if she had any hesitations or felt nervous, and I was surprised to hear her say, no, not at all, even when the side effects from the hormones eventually got worse. And so it, like, felt so surreal to me that I felt so bad, but I was injecting myself with more of the medicine that made it bad. By the last few days, I remember I could, like, barely walk. I had to walk very slow. And were you also thinking in the back of your mind, like, well, this is worth the money? Absolutely. I was absolutely counting on it. There was no way I was backing out once I was there. Yes, she was in pain. But the money she'd get from this retrieval felt monumental. A couple days of discomfort for long-term security. So on the day of the retrieval, Ashley walked from the hotel to the clinic. Then she was sedated. The goal was to retrieve 10 to 15 eggs. I woke up sore, but I don't remember it being horrible. Um, But I remember them saying, we are very worried that you're going to hyperstimulate. We got 33 eggs. It was more than we thought. 33? Yes. Were you surprised by that number? Yeah, I felt like a prodigy. I was like 
talked about like it was a very cool thing. The fact that Ashley was so young and just naturally fertile made her an ideal candidate for egg donation. After the procedure, Ashley got a check for $8,000. So it was in my account before school started in September. When you say that you got the check right away, I'm, I don't know why I'm imagining you like on the hospital bed and someone's like yes. literally handing you a check. Yes, that's what happened. That Wait, is... Really? You're like in a daze and they just like hand you a check? Yes. Yes. I remember because I remember thinking, God, I hope I don't lose this. The clinic sent her away with a tape measure, instructing her to measure around her abdomen to see if the swelling got worse, a sign of hyperstimulation. Because Ashley was already naturally fertile, the doctors worried that maybe the hormone dose prescribed was too high in her case, which can lead to hyperstimulation. I remember it, it was so confusing going from being told, this is so rare, it never happens, to then, don't worry, don't worry about it. This happens all the time. It's going to get better soon. She flew back home to Washington, but the pain and the swelling weren't going away. Every day, my abdomen was bigger. Like, at one point, I couldn't see my toes. Like, I, I looked significantly pregnant. The advice I kept getting was drink water, not just water, drink electrolytes. So I remember my friend would go to the store and buy me these huge containers of Gatorade, and I drank the whole thing. Like, I was I was consuming so much fluid, and I wasn't mm. peeing at all. It oh. was all that fluid was just going into the third space of my abdominal cavity. And by the end, like, at the worst of it, I couldn't lay down, because when I laid down, I felt like I was drowning. Her friend eventually rushed her over to the emergency room, where doctors confirmed that fluid was now also in her chest which I didn't even realize was a thing that could happen. The doctors at the ER couldn't do much to help her. Nobody really knew what was happening. I do remember one of the nurses was a gay man, and he was, like, very nice to me and thanked me, like, thanks to you doing this, I might be able to have kids. They sent her home with pain medication. That night, Ashley had the best pee of her life, a sign that her body was finally recovering. With money in the bank, life got easier. You know, she could visit her family. She could buy textbooks without overdrafting her account. But remember, Ashley had signed on for two retrievals. She'd only done one. I figured after that first awful experience, there was a good chance Ashley wouldn't do it a second time. And the people in her life thought the same thing. But she was considering it. And there had been nice moments, too. When she was in San Francisco for her first donation procedure, she started noticing queer families out and about, and she'd think, I'm helping build those families. That's meaningful. But at the same time, her perspective on selling her eggs began to shift. I remember the language I kept using was like, why? I feel like egg donors should unionize. Like, what do you mean there's mm. all this, like, physical labor that can go so horribly wrong that was the first time it was, like, real to me, the power differential between me and the clinic. She wanted to feel less alone, to talk to other people who'd gone through this. So one day, sitting at her desk late at night, she did some research and stumbled across a Facebook group full of other donors. And many of them, they were sharing the same symptoms of hyperstimulation, of unbelievable pain and bloating, and how they had to be hospitalized. Pages and pages of results of people describing, like, exactly the same sort of things I'd experienced. And like Ashley, some of them had no idea those risks were even possible. There were also hundreds of posts exchanging tips and giving advice. 
I was so impressed by so many of the people on the page, how it seemed like they were able to advocate for themselves and that they were sharing information about which clinics treated them well and which didn't. Sitting there, sifting through the group, she started learning all these things about the egg donation industry that surprised her. They're the same things that also first drew me to this topic. Like the fact that there are barely any studies about how egg donation impacts donors. Clinics often try to reassure donors of the risks by saying, there aren't many studies showing long-term negative effects. Well, that's because there aren't many studies looking into the long-term effects in the first place. Ashley also learned that the egg donation industry is so lucrative in part because, unlike in other countries, there are few government regulations. There are no federal laws or policies to protect egg donors. Some donors I talked with told me that even though they're undergoing a procedure, they don't always feel like the patient. Instead, the focus tends to be on the people buying the eggs, on the intended parents. Egg donors might be the ones with the commodity, healthy, plentiful eggs, but how much they get paid is largely dependent on market forces. And that felt really like, like, I think it was like relief, anger, empowerment, like, was like the shift of feelings there reading it. On that Facebook group, Ashley saw comments of people who received up to $50,000 for a single donation. For days, she found herself stewing over all of this. But she'd already agreed to a second donation and felt like she couldn't change her mind. Luckily, that procedure went fine. They got 40 eggs, and they'd adjusted the hormones to decrease her risk of hyperstimulation. By that point, she'd donated about 70 eggs. So, like, would anyone in your life say something like, oh, so you could potentially have, like, 70 kids out there who are biologically related to you? Yes, and then I'd immediately correct them. It'd be like, it's more like 20. And they're like, 20 is still a lot. Ashley wanted all of her donations to be open, meaning that she would know the expectant parents and they'd know her. But she was told that wasn't an option. So really, she had no idea how many of her 70 eggs would actually be used. And at the time, she didn't think about the eggs she donated as potentially becoming children, let alone her children. When I remember myself being in those conversations, there there was one person who did push back more. It was that teacher. Her former high school English teacher, the one who'd encouraged her to plan for college. They were still close. He'd sold her a car. She'd occasionally babysit for him. And I remember him saying, like, how could you not think of these as your kids? I, like, had a narrative I could stick to, and I stuck to it. Which is? Which is, they're, I, like, I've done something that's helpful. I've done something that's a bit painful. But parenting is raising children. It's knowing children. The genetics don't matter that much. So, like, how dare I think that I have any, like, part of this kid's life when I'm not even doing anything for them. Ashley even felt that way when she eventually donated a third time to close friends. They were having fertility problems, and Ashley was like, well, I've done this procedure before. I can give you my eggs free of charge. At the same time, that $16,000 from her first two donations did not go as far as Ashley expected. She was visiting family when someone asked her, how taxes go? I was like, what? I'm poor. I don't need to pay taxes. And they're like, what are you talking about? You made money this year. You do need to pay taxes. And that's how I learned the money from egg donation is taxed as self-employment. And then I didn't have enough money in my bank account to pay for the taxes I owed on it. 
she remembers looking at her bank account, just crying. A lot of the money she'd earned went towards some old medical debt she had. I had a heart procedure done. I had knee surgery. Plus, she was paying those hospital bills from her first donation. The clinic was going to reimburse her for it, but she lost track of her receipts and didn't end up filing it, which I found very relatable. Ashley will be the first to tell you that she is not the best with money. Suddenly, all those plans she'd had for her egg donation checks felt like a naive fantasy. $8,000 is nothing. I thought it was a lot of money. It's not. It all goes back. Knowing how much would be taxed and how hard egg donation was on her body, it made Ashley rethink the process entirely. Clinics, she thought, are raking in too much profit at the expense of donors and prospective parents. For parents, it can cost upwards of $20,000 to conceive with a donor egg. Like, maybe Ashley would do it again, but this time she'd ask herself a question first. If I don't want to do this, what is the amount of money that would change my mind? Mm. I'll set that as my number, and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, and if it does, I get the money. And that was like a big mindset shift. So what was that change-your-mind amount of money? I decided if somebody paid me $15,000, I would do it. After the break, Ashley gets more than what she bargained for. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. When Ashley picked that change-your-mind amount of money, $15,000, she is going through a lot. She's 22, still in college, She can pay her rent, buy textbooks, and take out fewer loans. But things still felt precarious. Like one misstep, an accident, an unexpected bill could upend her life. So when she got news that a couple saw the price she'd set and said, sure, Ashley could hardly believe it. This time, though, she wouldn't be donating all of her eggs to a clinic. Instead, her eggs would go just to this one couple. One thing I had asked for was to be notified of a live birth if it happened. I didn't ask for, like, sex or detail. Like, I, I, I just want to know if there was a live birth. At this point, it was starting to dawn on me how many potential children could exist, and I, like, wanted to, like, have the math in my head of what that might look like. But the intended parents were firm. They didn't want Ashley to have any information. They knew everything about her, down to her SAT scores but they wouldn't even tell her if they had a baby with her eggs. It stung. In my conversations with donors, they often said that was the most painful part, the fact that some parents or clinics completely cut them out once they'd secured the eggs. But for Ashley, the money was too good to back out. It felt like an on-ramp onto the financial stability she craved. The procedure went smoothly, and she put the $15,000 towards her student debt. Occasionally, she'd use the money to go out to nice dinners with her friends or to visit her old high school English teacher. By now, egg donation felt routine. It didn't feel, like, new and scary anymore, so it just felt like a thing that I could do. Then I was like, all right, I'll do it again, but only for $20,000. Didn't think anybody would say yes to that. Wait, 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 back up. (laughs) (laughs) So you're like, you want to do it again? Uh, Yeah. 
It just felt like a, like, track that I was on, a thing Mm -hmm. I was able to do, a way to get a chunk of money. Not fast, but, like, not as slow as a job over the course of a year. I was going to do it for a fifth time if somebody selected me for $20,000. Like, I (laughs) felt proud of myself for upping it. By this time, Ashley had graduated college. She was couch surfing around Seattle. She'd paid off her debt, but was living paycheck to paycheck, working for AmeriCorps, barely making ends meet. A big financial cushion, $20,000, would make a huge difference. One of the reasons why I was drawn to Ashley's story is because you can sense the tension she feels. Her desire to make a lot of money fast, while also balancing all the moral and health implications of donating so many times. And it was at this point in her story where I began to wonder if there was a way she could sell her eggs and it feel ethical and good. And then she told me about her fifth donation. Ashley first met the intended father on a Skype call, supervised by someone from the agency. She took the call sitting in her mom's closet, the most private place she could find. And he, right off the bat, was like, this is kind of awkward. It's kind of like a first date. (laughs) And I so, nobody talks that way in egg donation. Like, you're not supposed Mm. to talk. You're not supposed to name it. The potential father hoped that he and Ashley could get to know each other. That had never happened before. He's like, I think it's unfair that I get all this information about you to make a decision, but you don't get any information about me. Would you be okay with me sending you, like, my own, like, folder of pictures and, like, stuff about me? And, like, I felt it was thoughtful. It was, like, I felt like I was being treated like a person in this and, like, Mm -hmm. naming the awkward dynamics of it, too. Asking for money from strangers who didn't want her to know anything about them was one thing. But it was different, getting to know the kind, friendly man who'd be spending $20,000 on her eggs. She felt a little sheepish about it. And then he brought up the money. He specifically said that's part of the reason he picked me, because he, like, respected that I was, like, naming a price that, like, mattered to me. And, like, he hoped that, like, if he had kids and or specifically a daughter, that, like, she would, like, demand money for, like, it (laughs) just was dreamy. (laughs) After the procedure, the expectant father drove her from the clinic back to her hotel with a care package he'd made for her recovery. She also got a check for $20,000. The money from this donation helped her to finally stop couch surfing, and for the first time, she could qualify for a place of her own. She built a bookshelf around the perimeter of the living space and filled her apartment with her favorite colors, sky blue and yellow. I had this very intense job, and so coming home every night to a place that was just mine and nobody else was there. It was like just peace that I'd never experienced. Things were finally falling into place. Ashley had her own apartment, and her last donation had been such a positive experience, finally giving her a sense of stability. I felt done. (laughs) That felt like such a good note to go out on. About a year later, in 2018, Ashley was in a new relationship. She was exploring her queerness after years of avoiding it. She'd done a total of five donations. Six is the recommended maximum for egg donors. So it felt like a good time to stop. And if anything came up, like a friend or family needed eggs, she could donate to them. Meanwhile, her financial situation was starting to go downhill again. I get a chunk of money and I do what I can with it for as long as I can, and then I'm desperate again. She was struggling with her mental health and having a hard time finding consistent work. Eventually, she got a job at a crisis shelter, which paid very little. Then one day, Ashley was on a walk in the park, scrolling through her phone, when she saw a news article about the clinic where she'd first donated eggs. 
they'd apparently had a malfunction with the freezer, causing them to lose the egg bank. She emailed them and was like, do you all by any chance want me to donate again? And they sent me back like, yep, you could come down, like, come whenever you want. We've upped our prices to $10,000 now instead of eight. And so I did it. And I, that was like absolutely just financial desperateness. This clinic didn't let donors set their own prices, but not having to go through a lengthy application process seemed like a fine trade-off. She just needed money now. My bank account hit zero every month at some point in the month. At that point, Ashley was in her mid-20s, and her views on the industry had come into sharp focus. By this point, I felt pretty critical of, like, the fertility industry at large and whose eggs they wanted and whose they didn't and who got paid and who did Like, all of that was, like, forming in my mind. I look young. I am white and blonde and don't wear makeup, right? Like, I, I see the, like, youthfulness of me combined with, like, a college degree that I think is exactly what the, like, fertility industry is, like, trying to market. And, like, I'm participating in that and benefiting from that. There are studies that show egg donors who are well-educated are offered more money. And white and Asian donors in particular tend to get paid dramatically more money than Black and Hispanic donors. We're talking a difference of tens of thousands of dollars. While researching for this episode, we also came across very specific ads for egg donors. Potential parents looking for donors with a particular height, SAT score, eye color, ethnicity. Basically, if a wealthy family wants certain attributes in their egg donor, they're likely to get it. And around this time, as Ashley was coming out as queer, she noticed that when she started disclosing that on egg donor applications, she'd be denied. I was scared that, that my eggs were going to, like, bad people who raise their kids in bad ways. I'm like, if if queerness influences, and maybe it didn't, I don't know, how my application is, who are these intended parents? Are they going to be supportive of their kids if they're queer? She was legitimately torn, because taking part in the egg donation industry also felt like the only way through the crises she was facing. So Ashley made an appointment, flew down to California, and walked into the clinic. Years ago, she'd originally entered that clinic full of optimism and excitement. People told her she was special and generous, making miracles happen. And she'd believed them. Now she just felt resigned. It also felt like, like, circular in this, like, weird and powerful way. Like, walking into that same place, knowing so much more than I had known when I was 21 and first donated there. And, like, being a pretty different person now. Like, it, like... Yeah, I wonder how much, like, deep down I wanted that, like, closure or something. While lying on that hospital bed that day, Ashley received a $10,000 check. And around that same time, the father from her fourth donation had sent her photos of his newborn. Looking at the pictures, Ashley didn't expect to feel as emotional as she did. Oh, that's a kid who looks like my nieces and nephews. Mm. That is a kid who looks like my baby pictures. She thought about pictures she'd seen of her great-grandparents as children. Seeing that face, like, through the generations and be like, and and these kids are a part of that, too. And I don't know how many other kids there are. And I don't, I, it's, it's out of my hands. And that was, like, a choice that I made, but just feeling, like, the weight of that. Is that something that you think about often? Every day. (laughs) Yeah. Ashley knows of six children born using her eggs. 
but there could be many, many more. And with websites like 23andMe and Ancestry.com out there, it is very possible she'll be hearing from them as they grow up. When I, like, consider the sheer number of relationships I don't have or don't have yet, that it becomes overwhelming. Like, if all of those kids eventually want a meaningful relationship with Ashley, would she even have time to give them that? All of this, the guilt and confusion, became magnified in 2020, when Ashley and her partner Quinn started talking about building their own family. They can't do that biologically, so they bought anonymous sperm from a local sperm bank. They figured they'd use one of Ashley's eggs. It's still 2020. It's still locked down. I joined, like, a million Facebook groups, mostly about Animal Crossing. Um, But (laughs) one of the Facebook groups I joined was um, for donor-conceived people Mm -hmm. sharing their experiences. And I, like, read through a couple hours worth of those stories. She thought about what it must be like to be donor-conceived. But scrolling through these posts, one after the other, about their experiences, about how they were grappling with these big identity questions... It was completely overwhelming. There's 70 siblings, so like how they'll even if they wanted to get to know all of them, they not knowing if they're going to accidentally date, which has happened, like one of their genetic siblings. A lot of feelings of resentment for like their genetic parents who profited. All describing feeling like babies on an assembly line. Of course, there are plenty of donor-conceived adults who don't feel this way, but the volume of people she was seeing on this Facebook group sent Ashley into a spiral. And, like, just reading all of that and feeling it and knowing, like, I am a part of that. I have been a part of that. Ashley remembers crying that night and talking with her partner about it. I felt like I've, like, I've already used up my I didn't know better card. Like, how dare I now use an anonymous sperm donor? Like, I, I can't. I And that means that any, like, child of mine who's, like, genetically mine and who I birth would be, like, kind of dual donor conceived because mm. they would have an unknown number of siblings from their genetic father's side and an unknown number of genetic siblings from my side. I wouldn't use this language now, but at the time it felt like I don't get to have kids. Like, I... I already, like, messed up too bad. I've spent hours talking to Ashley, and there are times like this when she can be really hard on herself. But the idea of her child having countless half-siblings was more than she could bear. It felt like there was no clear or right answer. She talked to a trusted medical provider about it. And she kind of, like, shrugged in, like, a super validating way and was like, yeah, you— I don't, I think she's, it's like, you can't really enter parenthood and be morally pure. Like, all the soapboxes you start out on, like, get demolished by the children you're, like, raising or not raising. And and I think there's, like, humility there. And I don't mm-hmm. think, for me at least, I don't find it helpful to try to find the exact right move that, like, makes me impossible to criticize Today, Ashley feels like the best anyone can do is be as informed as possible about their options and be willing to embrace the beautiful and complicated things that come from the decisions they make. After talking through their options, Ashley and her partner Quinn agreed to sell the anonymous sperm back to the sperm bank and put their pregnancy plans on hold. Meanwhile, Ashley herself didn't want to remain an anonymous donor if she could help it. It's something she'd always felt strongly about, and now even more so. She urgently called all the clinics she donated to in the past. 
I am learning a lot more about the perspectives of donor-conceived adults. Please, please, please have in my file, like, I am up for contact. When someone did reach out, it was through the Donor Sibling Registry, a nonprofit that helps donor families connect with each other. Part of what she told me was that she tried to get a hold of me through the clinic, and the clinic um, said that there was a fee to, like, pass information on to oh, me wow. and a fee for us to have a meeting together. <sighs> and she wasn't really up for paying those fees, so decided she'd try first to find me in other ways. And I was living, yeah. like, so angry. Ashley hadn't known that the fertility center was charging parents to have contact with her. They said that the fee was to pay a staff member to verify everyone's identities. It was for her protection, they said. Ashley didn't buy that. Almost a decade ago, Ashley knew the decisions she was making, decisions for her livelihood, would have lasting impacts. But if she's honest with herself, she hadn't quite grasped the weight of it. All of the crises of my 20s led to, like, major shifts, but specifically financial crises, like, that was one major part of why I donated eggs and then continue to donate eggs. Like, now those decisions mean that there are human beings in the world who wouldn't be here otherwise. And, like, the fact of that is, like, beautiful and nauseating and overwhelming. Like, all of it, I benefited and I was taken advantage of by the fertility industry, right? Like, and I, I, I feel comfortable holding both of those at once. Um, but, but yeah, money is relevant for every single yeah. facet of it. Sometimes Ashley daydreams about the conversations she might have with the children conceived using her eggs, what they might say when they become adults. For a while, she'd imagine those conversations going terribly. What if they hate her? But more recently, those daydreams have evolved. Maybe it'll be fine. She can't predict what will happen, and right now she wants to focus on being more secure with herself, so she'll be ready for those conversations. In terms of building her own family, Ashley still felt conflicted. She was sad that she wasn't going to use her own eggs, even if it felt like the right decision for them. So instead, like a lot of queer couples, they had to come up with a creative solution. If my partner and I have a child using my partner's eggs and my brother's sperm, that means that child would know all of their siblings because either we have more kids or my brother has kids, but we're all in each other's lives in whatever way we are. Ashley feels good about using her brother's sperm and her partner's eggs, with her partner being the one who carries. But getting to this point, it was all so complicated. Queer people like Ashleen Quinn already have so many hoops to jump through when it comes to family building. It can be hard enough to find fertility centers that are ready and willing to work with queer families. And on top of that, it's all so incredibly expensive. They're going to do IVF, which can cost up to $14,000 for one cycle. When I asked Ashley how they were planning to afford that, her response completely threw me off guard. I got a significant lawsuit settlement. Oh. Um, can I ask you how much? The settlement was for a million dollars. Whoa. What? Yeah. Okay, even though I sound surprised by that, and I was, what she told me next, how they got that settlement, that was a story I didn't expect. In fact, for weeks, I kept thinking about it and talking about it with our team. We tried to find a way to incorporate the lawsuit story into this episode, until it finally dawned on us that it was too big 
too complicated and too important to just casually mention. We realized we definitely needed to do a second episode. Because that money, in a lot of ways, is not just about Ashley's story. It's also about her partner, Quinn's. If I wanted to sue a teacher and a district and a church, like, what do you do? I don't think I was super aware of this being a thing you could sue for. You can find that episode in your feeds right now. It is called The Cost of Secrets. All right, that is all for this episode. If you have any thoughts about this story or, you know, just want to shoot us a note, you can always email me and the team at uncomfortable at marketplace.org. We love hearing from you all. Also, if you like our show, please let us know and leave us a review. That really helps us out and it actually makes it easier for other people to find our show. And if you haven't already, be sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter. I usually write what's on my mind that week or what's going on in my life. There's also always great recommendations in there for things to cook or listen to or watch. This week, I share a little bit about what it's been like these last few months working with the team on the new season. You can sign up for that at marketplace.org slash comfort. This episode was lead produced by Alice Wilder and hosted by Rima Kares. They wrote the script together. The episode got additional support from Hannah Harris-Green and Haley Hirschman. Zoe Saunders is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. Mark K. Green is our digital producer with help from Tony Wagner. I'm the team's intern, Yvonne Marquez. Sound design and audio engineering by Drew Jostad and Juan Carlos Torado. Also, special thanks this week to Noha Sharif, Lauren Jade Martin, and Diane Tober. Also to the Facebook group, We Are Egg Donors, and all the donors who shared their stories with us. Bridget Bodner is Marketplace's Director of Podcasts. Francesca Levy is the Executive Director of Digital. And our theme music is by Wonderly. The second episode in this series is out now. I can't wait for y'all to hear it. 